Today's podcast is brought to you by Unicorn.com, the premier esports betting site. Log on today to bet on your favorite games like League of Legends, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, basically any esport you can come up with for the chance to win awesome prizes like the Logitech G633 headset that I'm using right now. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Internet. It's Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am a freelance head coach slash writer at the moment. And welcome to another special edition of the Rough Drafts podcast. Sorry we have been gone for as long as we have. My time at Imperial was obviously a crazy time in my life. Very happy for everything that I did over there, but it did make it very hard to put out podcasts as regularly as we would have liked. Uh, A couple illnesses and things came up along the way, so there are a couple lost podcasts that you guys will sadly never get to hear. But we are here now, and we are here to talk about MSI. Part one of this two-part podcast will be purely on the gameplay, breaking down the matches that we saw this past week. And I can't think of anyone else I'd rather talk to than my good friend, Walter Ciades Fedchuk from Slingshot Esports. Walter, how are you doing, man? I'm doing very well. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about MSI. It, it was unfortunate we weren't able to do a, a preview of it, but I'm excited to talk about what we have seen, and it makes our opinions a little bit, uh, I guess, a little bit more evidence to support our opinions, as crazy as those have changed. I, I was going to say, I'm kind of glad that they never saw the preview episode, because if they did... <laughs> We'd have a lot of crow to eat on this particular podcast, but now they can't prove we said anything. So this is this is beautiful as far as I'm concerned. It is a it was a very interesting tournament. Clearly, it has not gone exactly according to plan. But let's start with the team that had the most expected outcome. That would be Supermassive Esports, the Turkish team. We did not have high hopes for this team heading into the tournament. Obviously, as an international wildcard team, these teams are not seen to be regularly competitive with some of the power regions. And since this is the best team from each of these power regions, it was hard to imagine them doing much better than they did. Walter, at the end of the day, where do you come down on Supermassive Esports? So Supermassive actually surprised me in kind of a similar way that all... The wildcard teams do surprise you at some point. Even the Bangkok Titans last year had some moments where you went like, holy crap, I didn't think this team was going to be this good. I thought they were just going to completely roll over. And they had, you know, a lead on SKT in one of the games for five minutes. Like, whatever. And I think Supermassive, I was sort of looking them in the same role that I looked at, like, a pain gaming or, like, the Brazilian teams usually of... They can definitely come in here and they can make some noise and they can make some people nervous. And that's what they did. They took one game off of CLG in the middle of CLG's kind of impressive run through the midseason invitational. They had some strong showings and some strong moments against RNG and against SKT. And I never really thought that they were a contender for one of the overall number one seeds, one of the top four and getting into the semifinals. But definitely for a day or two, there was a strong possibility of them sort of breaking through the European mystique and and getting that fifth place and sending two European teams down into that third pool, which would have been insane in its own right. I think that this is showing that the wildcard regions are growing as a whole. They are getting better across the board, but I'm not sure that, we're at a point at all where we should be considering any of these regions, you know, equal to the lower tier power regions in, in LMS or in Europe or in NA. I, I don't think they're quite there yet, but they're definitely at a point where they can start taking, you know, two, three, maybe a fourth game off of these teams when you get to international stages. So we'll see at Worlds what happens. Yeah, I think it's important to note how much growth we have seen from the wildcard regions, despite having very little international competition for them to play against some of these teams and really get pushed forward. It's very easy to get locked into this inter-regional play. And if you're not pushed by teams getting repeatedly better and, and moving the, you know, the bar in which you have to compete in any of these regions along, well, 
what you get is stagnation. Latin America's servers are the best example of this. Latin America North or Latin America South, neither servers ever really had any success, even amongst international wildcard teams. But regions like Turkey, regions like Brazil, regions like Southeast Asia, these regions have gotten some benefits of being surrounded by powerful regions, being able to scrim better teams, having the ability to have hit the international stage and played against some of these teams. And you could tell Supermassive learned a lot from their time on this stage. They have the same problems that we often see with teams that are outside of power regions, where the first 10 or 15 minutes went really well because that's more of a by-the-numbers, individual prowess kind of time. And a lot of these guys, you know, if you're a top team in Turkey, you're one of the top guys on the EU West ladder. It's not like they're just playing on their own little Turkish server. Most of these guys do very, very well on the European servers. So it is important to note that individually they can keep up. When they falter, it's when they have to make these bigger macro decisions. And that's the thing that you can't really teach yourself until you go up against regions and teams that have already mastered these kinds of ideals. And it's one of the reasons it's such a shame that there aren't more international tournaments because Supermassive can now take this back to Turkey what about all of the other non-power regions that do not have that opportunity? So we've noticed on certain teams that are that are successful when they come from IWC and even like challenger level teams that it seems to be a consolidation of that region or that league's talent. Do you think it's something because there were moments where Supermassive described themselves as the the super team of Turkey, that that was what they were going for. They're trying to pull together as many of the best player, talented players as they could to build the best team they could. Do you think that that is something that other regions need to look at and you need to look at, okay, well, you know, we have five, you know, our five best players in our region at their positions are all on different teams. Maybe our best chance of succeeding on the international stage is to just make super teams in, in these minute regions. Well, the problem you have with that is that super teams have historically not necessarily been all that successful. TSM was a super team this split, and it took them a very long time before they figured some of this stuff out. Remember, Supermassive was in a three-way tie for the third to fifth place spot in Turkey in the regular season. They were playing in the quarterfinals and barely squeezed past Team Aurora in the semifinals to even get out of Turkey, much less get to the international wildcard. So this idea that, oh, all you have to do is create a super team? In retrospect, sure, it sounds great. Supermassive clearly made an incredibly talented team that paid off in the long run. But there are so many things that go into making a team successful outside of just consolidating talent. And if anything, I think Supermassive's story shouldn't be that they put together a Turkish super team. It's how these guys went from at the beginning of the split being very shaky and not having much synergy together and are now playing like a unit, a flawed unit, mind you, a unit that had weaknesses exposed when playing any of these more powerful regions, but a unit nonetheless. And that's something that you can't just replicate by putting talented guys on a team together. I think that says more about the coaching staff of Supermassive and a lot of what these guys have been able to do throughout their careers in terms of setting themselves apart, uh, climbing the EU ladder, making sure that they're playing at, at the highest level possible and bringing that work ethic into the team environment. I think that deserves more credit than just, hey, these are talented guys that happen to be from the same country. Let's just throw them together. No, it was actually just a thought that I, I just had literally five minutes before I asked the question because Supermassive in all of their packages were so much, this is a super team, this is a super team. And I think it is interesting that you bring up the fact that TSM's super team failed, that Alliance's super team wasn't so great. But I just think you have to sort of look at these regions in a different light than you do with NA. TSM has always said, our goal is to win Worlds. Korea, our goal is to win Worlds. China, our goal is to win Worlds. And to me, I feel like these, these wildcard regions still need to focus instead on Instead of the international success, they need to focus on we need to build up our region to the point that it's on par with North America, that it's on par with LMS 
and then gradually get to the point where you're on par with China and, and Korea in terms of the infrastructure around you, the financing that's around you in terms of sponsors and, and just money in the scene. And that will then help keep on increasing the talent level. Uh, someone brought up in Smite actually on, on their Reddit that, you know, there seemed to be this fear of the veteran players of not letting younger players come in and not having the talent around. And all of a sudden, when all these veteran players disappear, the level of the scene is going to go down because there's no young blood to take up the mantle. And I just thought it was very apropos when you look at these alternate regions and of what is what is Turkey as a whole, what is their goal? Is it that they want to win Worlds next year? Or is it that they want to become a sustainable league with you know, an influx of talent that's always there, a bubbling challenger scene that there's, you know, 15 or so players that could be nipping at the heels of the professionals that are already there. So since you were over there, I, I thought it was an interesting question to ask you of what you what your opinion on it was. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I will say this. I do think that this is the ultimate test of whether the trickle-down experience system works, right? Because we now have shown repeatedly that these teams, you know, the best teams in these non-power regions can compete, can keep games close, can even take a game here or there. So when does it start affecting, say, the mid-tier teams in the region? Because to further a region, it's not about having the best teams at the top. It's about the three through six spots or however, you know, that mid-tier of teams still being good enough to challenge you, to push you forward, to make you learn lessons compared to everything else. A front-loaded top doesn't really do much for you if you're not getting quality experience throughout the year. So will Supermassive be able to come back to Turkey, take all of these lessons, and push the whole region forward? At some point, we're going to have to see whether that works out or not. This has kind of been the experiment when we have so few international tournaments of are just giving these guys one spot in the entire international wildcard scene enough to push a region forward. And to me, I wish there was more being done. I wish international wildcard regions were playing each other more often because you need to have that experience. You need to have big moments against teams that can actually push you. And I wonder whether this will be enough to really further Turkey any more than Turkey was already, you know, a top tier wildcard region. It's not surprising to me that Supermassive got here. What would surprise me is if Supermassive getting here means that Turkey as a whole is where they want to be in the long run. And that's what we have to see. This has been Riot's theory for a while now in terms of how they've organized their tournaments. And pretty soon we're going to have to see if that actually pays off. But we're going to go to a team that had a strategy that didn't necessarily pay off. That is G2 Esports. We're going to save our thoughts on their vacation strategy in part two of the podcast, which is much more about some of the storylines that are going around outside of the games being played right now. But let's focus on what we saw in the Rift, Walter. What happened to G2 just from a pure gameplay perspective? They looked like a team that went on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> that's that's really what it comes down to. They did not look like a cohesive unit. And besides the vacation, there's rumors that the bot lane is being replaced. Uh, and that right before the tournament, the current bot lane was informed of that. So we have no real idea of what was going on behind the scenes, why they truly made a decision to go on a two-week vacation before an international competition. But when it comes down to it, it showed they did not look collectively good as a team. Perks and Trick looked the most out of sync in terms of the, the entire team as a whole. They didn't look like they were on the same page with the bot lane. They didn't look like they were on the same page with Kickus. It really looked like Trick and Perks were playing their own game, and those were the two that got punished the most. Those were the two that got punished on invades. Perks definitely got, quote-unquote, solo queue term, camped. He definitely got focused, and it, you could tell in their play, especially when you got into the second half of the round robin, Perks was trying to play a lot more passively. He wasn't trying to go for these crazy 1v1 outplays. And then a disconnect happened between Trick and Perks when that happened because Trick is so used to Perks pushing up the lane and getting aggressive into his, his opposing mid laner's face. And that allows Trick to roam into the jungle with impity. And it just got punished because their play style was changing because Perks was so scared. He was so scared of being camped. He was so scared of the opposing junglers. And, and Trick didn't change his play style to 
provide assistance for his mid laner. He just assumed, well, I can just keep doing what I've been doing all year because obviously my mid laner is going to keep doing what he was doing all year. So I think a lot of what happened behind the scenes had a huge impact on the in-game play. And that can be a negative because if they aren't able to focus just on the game and aren't able to leave everything at the door when they step onto the quote-unquote rift, that poses a problem for what their kind of their psyche is, what their mindset is. And if things happen during the LCS regular season, what happens for this team that seemed so good for the entire year? Yeah. You know, a lot of people made points about Perks's off-the-rift attitude. If you look at his social media and everything else, it was very lackadaisical, you could say. I don't really care what a player says on social media. We all know that people like Soaz have been saying much more incredulous things for a much longer period of time, and it hasn't stopped him from being a world-class player. So I don't really care what someone's social media account looks like, but I do care when it shows up in their play. And I do believe when you look at the way Perks was playing these games, it was very much a, I can get away with things because I am Perks, because I had, you know, I'm the rookie of Europe. I won rookie of the split last split. I've been able to make these plays every time I've gone for them. We've been able to get away as a team with a lack of vision compared to our other regional counterparts with a very proactive, aggressive play style compared to the rest of our region. And here they couldn't. And Perks was most visibly punished for it because he was the one who was getting away with the most plays back in Europe just because they had such a good sense of the game. But when you aren't as sharp as a team, when you aren't as confident in the calls being made, suddenly you have a guy like Perks and that attitude is a poison for your team. You get someone like Trick who is so used to being able to gank whatever lane he wants and having things go well. And now it's falling apart and he's out of position and things are really struggling. And Kikis, I don't give Kikis as much of a break as you do. I th- the difference between him and any top laner who wasn't on Supermassive was in fact Supermassive this tournament. I-, I felt like he also was caught out of position. There were some mechanical mistakes that were made in some one-on-one duels. And he got himself caught out because, again, he is used to being able to have that defense. And... To me, I guess the question has to be, Walter, whatever version of G2 that we see when the European season finally rolls around, do you think this tournament proves that that all-aggression, big-play mentality is something that cannot work in the big scheme playing the best of the best perspective? I don't I don't think so. I think that you can still make the play style work. And honestly, I prefer that play style. It shows that they're willing to make risks. I think what they need to do is they need to learn how to play when they're behind because the play style, that massive, let's just make a play, let's outplay, let's do, you know, try and just make a play. When it doesn't work when you're behind, you fall even further and further and further behind. So they need to learn a little bit better how to set up those types of plays. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it in my favorite person in Kiwi Kid. Kiwi Kid, I've said multiple times, just makes a play. He knows a play has to be made, and he just does it. He flash, you know, alts his Annie. He flash headbutts his Alistar. He tries to throw a flash hook. He does all these things where he's trying to make a play, and when they work, they're spectacular, and they get Dignitas, they got Dignitas back into games or got them victories. When they didn't work, they just fell further and further behind. So I think that needs to be one of the primary focuses for uh, Young Buck and the rest of the G2 staff of, okay— when the big plays aren't working and we're falling behind, what can we do to get back into the game? They did not play well around dragons when they were behind. They really gave up a lot of dragons and a lot of objectives. They didn't contest them well. They didn't get there before the dragon spawned to set up vision so that they could either, you know, directly contest it or, you know, stall out the enemy team from taking it. They would usually show up, you know, five, 10 seconds after it spawned and the enemy team's already on top of it. So, while that does help in terms of the dragons dealing some damage to the enemy team, the enemy team already has all the war, you know, all the wards that they need. They can see everything. They can react to what you're doing as opposed to you forcing them to do something. So, when it comes to that, they need to work on that, but I think the playstyle as a whole works. It just takes some refining. It just takes staying very focused and it takes a lot of practice to stay in that type of mindset of when to make plays, how to make the plays, what wards that you need to set up to make those planes. And again, it comes down to they look like a team that does not want to play with each other anymore and that they didn't play for two weeks. So 
that that's really how I sum up G2. Kickus, I, I still give a pass because he's only three months into playing top lane. He hasn't ever played against players the level of, of Duke or Darshan. Um, I think the remainder of Europe is is rather weak in terms of their top lane talent. So I thought he did fairly well for the level of competition he was against. But yes, you're absolutely right. He does need to work on his mechanics and he needs to get better as a top laner if that is truly what he wants to do. Yeah, and I understand everything you're saying there in terms of G2 being able to take advantage of that risk award play style when they're much more synced up as a team. The problem is that it is very hard to stay mentally together in that mode, even in the best case scenario. Uh, Just from my own experience coaching, if things are not going well and your whole team is geared to only make proactive plays, that is a very tough road to go down because you're constantly trying to force things and you all have different ideas of what needs to be forced and you know players are getting frustrated because they're falling behind in ways they weren't expecting. These are very tough factors to overcome. And the best teams can do it. And G2 were able to do it in the European playoffs. So by no means is it impossible. But I do believe it's something that's worth looking into. If your goal is to win worlds, if your goal is to be the best team, You've got to have a backup plan that your players feel comfortable with, because if it's all about taking these high risk, high reward plays and suddenly all of your plays become high risk to middle to low rewards because there are so few things you can do around the map because things have already gone against you, it becomes very, very difficult to keep that going and keep finding success there. But you know where you can find success, Walter? Esportsfans.com. If you are looking for an ability to pick out the most interesting statistics from this tournament, to break down on a stat-by-stat basis and very easy-to-read bar graphs, there's no better place to be for these kinds of things. And I feel like that, at the end of the day, is a clear win in a way that maybe G2 or Supermassive struggled to find. Was there any stat that you found that you thought was particularly uh, exciting as we prepared for this podcast. It wasn't a stat in particular, but just looking at, I'm I'm pulling up Stixay, mm-hmm. and Stixay has been a player that I have some some questions about. I still have questions about, and as we go into the off season after MSI, I'm going to do a lot of research, particularly into him, since all of a sudden, especially with this tournament, he's just risen to everyone thinks he's the best AD carry in North America. I still have some questions watching his play because it seems very inconsistent in that he has moments in complex situations where he goes crazy. He's absolutely nuts. He gets great kills. He has great positioning in team fights, and it's astonishing. And then he has moments in simple situations where he just gets caught. He just gets greedy with his flash and doesn't want to do it, or he gets caught out, overextended without flash. He still feels like a very kind of polarizing player to me in particular, but the fact that he is above average at MSI and has had so many highlight plays at MSI, and when you look at esports fans and you look at these bar graphs, you clearly see every single one of his graphs are above average for his role. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at his KDA, it's 4.2, the role average is 3.3, his champion damage uh, 701.6, his roll average is 636. He's dealing more damage. He's getting more gold. He's, you know, placing more wards. He has better first blood percentage. He's definitely improved from where I saw him at the beginning of the season. But I still have questions, and I'm going to dig even deeper into our statistics when the offseason comes around. Yeah, and that's the fun thing is that you can dig as deep or as casually as you'd like. It's laid out so that any fan can kind of come in and absorb exactly how much they're looking for. So whether you're a casual fan that just wants to get an idea of what it is you might have missed during the time at MSI, or if you're a hardcore fan looking for every single little piece of data you can get in order to further your knowledge of the game, Esports fans, that's fans with a Z or a Z, depending on whether you studied it in the UK like I did, .com. Check them out today. Proud sponsors of the podcast. We love being able to, to work with those guys as we do these kinds of prep work. And, you know, now it's time to see if the prep work that some of these teams put in is going to pay off now that we're in the bracket stage. This best of five series. No longer are we limited to best of ones that, you know, can, can show some 
perhaps some limiting amounts of information as far as how good these teams really are. And nowhere is that example perhaps more poignant than the 6-4 and four SK Telecom playing the first place 8-2 and two Royal Never Give Up in the first of our semifinal series. Walter, of the two teams, which one surprised you more here? I mean, I think both teams surprised me equally. Uh, one surprised me in that they were much better than I expected, and one surprised me in that they were much worse than I expected. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it at face value, and I'll start with with SKT because they, I think, were the team that surprised absolutely everyone with that zero and four run on days two and day three. Blank is just young. He's just young. He's inexperienced. And I feel like the play style of SKT right now is very teamfight oriented. It's not very early game pressure oriented. And every other team at this tournament besides G2 is very late game teamfight oriented. You look at RNG, they were known as the team, you know, arguably the team fighting gods in Korea. CLG, the same thing. It's not about the individual play. It's about the team as a whole and how good they are. Uh, even Flash Wolves, even with the fact that Carso was able to get them in the LMS ahead, on so many occasions, the few games that I did watch of them, it seemed like they got those massive leads, but then they settled into this team fight rotational pick style of play. And Supermassive is the same thing. They had moments in the IWC uh, qualifiers where they fell behind early, especially against Hard Random on these really, really aggressive compositions. And they just bided their time and they waited out, waited out, waited out. And then boom, all of a sudden they came back and they were able to beat the other wildcard regions with their team fight presence. And I don't think SKT has really gone against the t against teams that are so good at the late game team fight phase. Sure, Korea is definitely the strongest region but rocks tigers were more about their laning phase and about their ganks uh with pina and about the aggression that they were able to put on earlier into the mid and into the mid game and then transfer that into we have a huge massive lead now we're going to out team fight people uh kt kind of similar in that it was more mid game power spike oriented with 80 carries and so on and so forth so I found it unusual that when teams played against skt with a similar play style skt had problems but the one good thing is that they were able to stall out games. Mm -hmm. Even games that they fell behind early, they continued to stall out. And it felt like during days two, three, and even going into day four, they were picking compositions that specifically were meant to, let's assume we're going to fall behind because we've been falling behind. How do we make sure that we can win coming to the late game? And it was a lot of Azir. It was a lot of wave clear style champions, a lot of scaling and Eventually, they were able to right the ship and you know go four and zero to end the end the last two days of the tournament. But the fact that they were so willing to just kind of play on the back foot on days two and three with their team compositions was very unusual to me. Yeah, I had mixed feelings watching SK Telecom in, in days two and three. On the one hand, every single one of those games was a slugfest to the bitter end. SKT made every single one of those teams work for those victories. These were games that against other weaker teams could have been wrapped up in 30, maybe 40 minutes that were then taking 50 minutes or an hour because SKT knew how to rotate, knew how to get objectives, knew how to use vision to force opponents away from those closing blows. So even in the losses, I was impressed with their ability to remain resilient and make it very difficult for teams to just steamroll over them. But on the other hand, when you lose four games in a row, that's a concern. And that's something that even after the adjustments they made on days four and five, where certainly they looked much better as a team. Remember, two of those four wins were against G2 and Supermassive. They were able to turn around in days four and five. But at the end of the day, it does make me wonder if these are problems that could plague them going forward. Is that, are the adjustments they made enough that when they play teams like RNG in a best of five, they're going to be able to keep getting those victories out. Now, the other you know side of this is that Coma is kind of known for being a guy who maybe doesn't adjust to patches immediately, but once he gets time, tends to perfect them and build the compositions that are incredibly difficult for opponents to deal with. How confident are you in SKT's ability to bounce back, Walter, now that they have a few days to settle and regroup mentally before they have to play RNG? 
I, I put it this way. At Season 3 Worlds, they were put into a group with OMG. And OMG crushed them the first time they played. And the second time they played, SKT crushed them. Mm-hmm. I look back last year at EDG's complete dismantling of them at MSI. And lo and behold, they're in the same group as EDG during Worlds, and they crushed them during Worlds. I cannot write SKT off. You, you just can't. They are arguably the greatest organization in League of Legends history. They are the only two-time world championship winner. Faker and Kakoma and Bengi are the only two-time world championship winner. Granted, Bengi did not start, did not play at all during the group stage. Maybe that changes, but again, the champion pool isn't in, in his favor, so I have to look at the other two, and Kakoma and Faker will figure this out. Yeah. If there is any issues that they see, maybe it's as simple as, fine, you know what, screw it. We're not going to play the meta champions. We're gonna, just going to put Bengi in there. We're going to let him play Gragas. We're going to throw him on a Nunu, like, whatever. Maybe they're going to work with Blank and just focus this entire time. I think part of what they need to do is they need to get away from this. We're just going to play for the late game and just have, like, a zero and just go crazy wave clear. I think they need to be aggressive and they need to get out and they need to put Faker in a position where he can out-duel Zhao Hu. And that was actually one of the funny things I tweeted during the tournament was... Has Zhao Hu now turned into the Chinese pawn? Because he held Faker in check. He was aggressive. He was going after Faker. So in a way that I haven't seen since pawn. And it was sort of an anti... Pawn's more of the anti-carry kind of style against Faker and teamfight oriented. Where Zhao Hu was like, nah, I'll just kill you in lane. And it was very weird to see it. So... If anyone is going to be able to fix this team, it's going to be Kakoma. And if there's any player on the planet that I wouldn't bet against ever, it's Faker. So I'm not worried about the issues that they had. I'm very confident that they will fix them. But this is definitely a tough, tough semifinals matchup for SKT in RNG. Yeah, no, and that's the part we need to get to next, which is RNG and their incredible performance throughout the group stage. Yes, they lost to SKT on day five, But that was an incredibly close game. And the rest of this tournament, RNG was so dominant that four out of the five all-tournament group stage players were RNG guys. And had you put Wuxian instead of 6A, I I don't think I would have argued with you. This team played such a complete team-fighting performance from start to finish in a way that we did not see the last time they were on an international stage. Walter, what is it about this team that just finally clicked at this tournament? I think all of them finally trust Mata. I think Mata is excelling at team fighting. I think that he is his engages were perfect. He was always in the correct position. He was always ready to make a play, and the team was constantly following him up. The fact that MLXG as a whole played so well in the champion pool fits so perfectly with him with the aggressive junglers and, and Kidred and Nidalee and even the Graves and then going to Lee Sin when he needed to keep up the pressure with that he he was phenomenal and Looper this is this is Samson White Looper hmm. his teleports were absolutely on point and perfect he was following Mata's direction to a T he was outplaying people in laning phase just those three players have played so remarkably and Zhao Hu as I just said against Faker he's been unstoppable in laning phase at this tournament, he is probably the best mid laner, which is helpful when four of your players are, you know, the absolute best players at the tournament in their position, as the all-tournament team lineup suggests. It really is incredible just how much this team has come together compared to what we saw at IAM Katowice. And this is something we said at the time with MLXG. He has a very specific set of champions at which he shines. And now we're at that moment. It's the same thing that you could say about Flash Wolves, who we'll get to in a bit. But when the meta turns their way, and all of these guys are on champions that they're very comfortable with, and you allow Mata to be the best support in the world, which is what he is right now, as far as I'm concerned, just in terms of the way that he makes his team better, play after play, game after game, suddenly this team just looks like a well-oiled machine, just systematically taking down opponents. And... You know, we said, you know, you brought up the great point about Looper being right back where we want him to be. Zhao Hu's been going aggressive. But let's not forget Woosh, who we did not see at IEM Katowice. They played Name at this tournament, much to my disgruntlement if you go back and listen to that podcast. I was very upset at the time 
that they ignored the fact that they had someone who I think is at the very least in the running for best AD carry in the world. And I thought he played amazingly at this, so far this tournament. I think that this entire unit of players has been in the right place at the right time. They've made every big play you can ask of them. Is there anything that worries you, Walter, about this best of five series from their perspective? Obviously, you have to respect SKT. You have to respect the history that Coma has. But on a pure RNG perspective, if you're looking at how Royal is supposed to take this series and do what they can from their own end, what is it you think they need to do, and what is it you think they need to avoid if they're going to come out of this series with a victory? My one concern is, are Looper and Zhaohu in particular going to be able to keep up this level of play? Or will they eventually, you know, is this their new baseline? Is this going to be their new floor, essentially? Or are they gradually going to start falling back to earth? Because Looper in particular has played absolutely out of his mind this tournament. He is always been correct on his TP flanks. He has not really given up any stupid, like, gank, getting caught out in a gank, overextending type plays. He has been extremely smart, extremely intelligent, and really had a has had a great game sense. Now, whether that is Mata or someone else constantly telling him during the game, Looper, stay back, Looper, stay back, Looper, TP to this ward and pinging it. Whether that's the case, fine. But that's my one fear, is at some point, those two players in particular might fall back to earth. And if that happens, the two players on SKT who have been probably struggling the most outside of blank are Duke and Faker. If they elevate their play back to where we expect them to be, this could very easily snowball out of RNG's favor. Yeah, I think a lot of it is going to come down to whether RNG is going to be able to take advantage of blank and that jungle situation right now. Because if MLXG and Jauhu play the way that they did, MLXG and Looper play the way that they did, I think they win both of those 2v2 matchups as far as junglers paired with solo laners right now at this tournament. That is not to say that you can count on Faker playing the way that he has so far. Faker had some flaws here. His Azir is something that you mentioned earlier. It's not his strongest champion. There's a reason they had Easy Hoon play whenever they wanted an Azir comp. Because Faker is not an infallible player. He is the best player in the world, but he has weaknesses. And one of them is this kind of control Azir-type mid laner. Can SKT circumvent that? Absolutely. I think SKT has the potential to. They've shown, through, you know, with two world championships now, that they're able to find a way more often than not. But RNG, if they can properly attack that blank weakness right now, if they can get Looper going against Duke, who does have some problems, even going back to the LCK fitting in with this SKT plan every once in a while, there are ways for RNG to win this series. And I think it's going to be an incredibly close series. Walter, where do you think the line is on this series? I'm looking at it, and obviously Royal is going to be the favorite because they've been playing so well. I'm going to put it at Royal minus 180. Oh, man. You thought Royal was going to be favored just because they've been playing better so far. Clearly, you do not understand how the gamblers work here. It is SKT minus 164. Because no one wants to bet against Faker. Which means that, for the record, we don't have smart money bets for this. We're currently off now that I beat Walter and changed his profile pick to that wonderful Diamond Fox picture that you guys can see on his Twitter right now if you go to at C80s underscore LOL. But uh, yeah, Royal Never Give Up, plus 125. Throwing it out there. That's not bad. That's not, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. I really like Royal Never Give Up in this series. I think there's a very good chance that at the very least they're going to keep it close. And if you are, if you're too afraid to get bet against Faker, but you think they can keep it close, the plus one and a half handicap, which is that RNG takes it to five games or wins, minus 130. That's still a ton of value there. I'm, I, I think that we need to get past this whole SKT is the greatest team in the world. It cannot possibly falter. And look at what we saw at this tournament. What we've seen is that RNG has consistently played as five guys, and SKT has struggled to do that at times. Are they going to make it easy? No. SKT are an incredibly talented team. 
And I still think they should be favored to win just from a pure, it's Faker, it's Coma, it's so many factors that they've been able to prove time and time again. You just don't ignore that. But when the odds are in this kind of favor, you have to tell yourself, like, Royal Never Give Up has a legitimate chance to win this series. I, I, I do have one counterpoint to that, however. RNG lost to both CLG and SKT the last four days. SKT beat RNG and CLG, which are two, arguably the two strongest teams of this tournament. RNG went 2-2 two and two on days 4 and 5. SKT went 4-0. and oh. Just, just want to say, hold, hold your horses, because RNG's only two losses happened on day and 4 and 5. Man, that, that, that four-game sample size, though. I, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Momentum is a thing. Momentum is a thing. Bill Barnwell is so mad at you for saying that right now. I just want you to know. I know. He like, is. now he's not going to come on the podcast anymore to talk about StarCraft with us. Do you realize what you've done? Well, we might not be able to get Barnwell on the show now that you mentioned momentum is a thing to worry about. But maybe we could at least show him some awesome highlight reels from Vibby.com. Because Vibby has the ability to take all of these kinds of moments, whether it be from Twitch... Vimeo, YouTube, just put in the video player, put in your timestamps that you want, and you could make some awesome videos to share uh, all across social media. Walter, if you could make a highlight video of any of the games we saw this week, what's the one you really love to just go back and comb through? I'd have to say it's going to be SKT versus CLG. Mm. It'd have to be one of those games because, guys, come on. Apple Pie, Apple Pie, finally! They finally came through, and we've taken a game off of one of the greatest franchises in League of Legends history. Congratulations. I would definitely comb through and take a bunch of highlights out of that and just throw it in the faces of all those Korean fanboys. Like, come on, dude. That was North America. <laughs> North America. Man, that NA pride suddenly coming through. It's uh, it's quite fun to have seen that. And, I, you know, again, I'm going to stick to the North America pride. I want to go through the CLG Royal Never Give Up game because that was one of those where I still can't believe that CLG won that game. Such a weird game. Royal was ahead for most of it. They picked all these great fights, and I would love to just, you know, take the highlights, you know, maybe even, like, slow them down so that you can see every little thing that CLG did to turn those last few fights in their favor. And the good news is it's so easy to do. Go to Vibby.com today. Check that out. Make your own highlight videos. Interact with the awesome community they have going there. Uh, it's, it's a great site, and we highly recommend it. Proud sponsors of the pod, and we appreciate, uh, we appreciate all the work they do. So Vibby.com, check it out today. We're going to check out the next semifinal series, CLG versus the Flash Wolves. CLG, actually the two-seed here. Throwing everyone for a loop, proving that North America is clearly the second best region in the world. That's what this means, right, Walter? Oh, absolutely. Come on. Was there ever a doubt? I mean, oh, everyone just thought it was going to be North America after after Korea. Like, everyone thought CLG was not potentially going to be the fifth seed at all. <laughs> because, yeah, they have two rookies that have never played on the international stage. And that was going to be a problem, right? Like, come on. No one ever thought that. Especially this after their loss to Supermassive in, in day two. I definitely <laughs> didn't think that that was a bad sign going forward. Somehow, they went they went 5-1 and one in the six games after that. So clearly, this loss to Supermassive just was fuel for them moving forward. What did CLG do to make this huge leap, Walter? Because... Even after the NA Finals, we had some problems that we'd seen in their play. And it seems like a lot of that got cleaned up. So how did we get here? Well, they have proven that there is no I in team, if you want to go grab a stupid sports analogy. <laughs> uh, but that's essentially what has happened. There is no I in team with CLG. It's all about the players as a whole, what they can all bring. And like I said earlier, Stixay has been phenomenal. He's actually been surprisingly good against, you know, arguably some of the best 80 carries in the world. And to another note, the team around him in Darshan and Aphromu especially have been so good at peeling for him, at absorbing cooldowns, at pushing uh, enemy champions away from him, at absorbing damage, at setting up plays. It has just been phenomenal to watch them play. They've had their kind of cheesy little things that they've pulled out in like the Aurelian Soul. And it's just been, it's been jolly good fun 
watching them play, they truly seem to enjoy playing with each other, and they truly seem across the board to have one another's backs outside and on the rift. And it's been a joy to watch. And that's pretty much what it comes down to, is they're perfecting their style. They are proving that you can play one, quote-unquote, style of League of Legends. Granted, there's different, you know, they're playing 1-3-1, one, one, they're playing teamfight-oriented, they're playing protect. 6A, whatever, but they are not focusing on one person being a superstar. They are making the team the superstar, and man, it's it's great to watch. It's my favorite thing to watch. Well, that was where I was going to say, when you mentioned that they, ha- they have one play style that they've perfected, I feel like this tournament proved that they have a second play style. They don't need Darshan to split push anymore. How incredible is this? I at no point said to myself, Man, if Darshan doesn't get split pushing and getting those individual resources soon, they're going to be in trouble. Because as a team, they were playing the resource game so well. Because as a team, they were setting up Stixay to have these big moments. And a lot of that, I think, comes down to Aphromoo playing out of his mind in this tournament. And I know that there were a whole bunch of memes heading into the World Championship last year about Aphromoo being ranked as high as he was on the most valuable player list. But... Taking aside that level of hyperbole, the guy is really, really good at League of Legends. He had so many plays, whether it be on the Soraka or on a Bard, that just changed the game around and gave his team the opportunity to close in and make these big plays. And the way that Darshan has been able to adjust his champion pool to be what this team needs, it is a a testament to the work that Zix and that coaching staff have been able to put in that they managed to get a victory off of every single team in this tournament. They're at least one and one against everybody. And funnily enough, they're one and one against Supermassive, but they're one and one against Royal Never Give Up and SKT as well, which I think is something that we never thought we would be saying this soon into the CLG experiment. It is, it's an incredible testament to just how much this team has done to take these players and, and give them a spot to succeed is there a weakness that concerns you looking at CLG? Because I've got one that I am concerned about going forward, especially given their opponent in the Flash Wolves here. Okay, let, let's let's say both. Let's say it at the same time because I know we have the exact same weakness. So on three, we're gonna say it. Okay, okay. this is just gonna be like high school. It's gonna be great. Are you ready? One, one, two, two, three, three. Hooey! Hoo-hee. Hoo-hee. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hooey. Who he, who he, who he, who he, he hasn't been bad. He's not been great. He's been acceptable. He's been mediocre. He's been middle of the road. He's been okay. Um, but outside of that, I'm, I'm very worried. I'm, I'm very, very worried. He's been very good. He's actually four and O on the Azir. Yes. Um, he's O one two on this Aurelian soul, like pocket pick and he's two and O on rise. So he's doing very well on like sort of the control oriented, um, mages and and the counter, which is Rise to the Azir. So I'm just very scared when you put him up against a really, really, really good mid laner. And now that everyone's kind of seen his playstyle, seeing that he's really passive, he's just trying to wave clear, he's just trying to get through the laning phase and get to their bread and butter, which is really the team fight phase. I am wondering, are Karsa and Maple just gonna ex- like? Is there gonna be an exclusive relationship with Hui here, where the two of them are just like, yeah, buddy, you're you're gonna see the both of us for the entire game, or are they just gonna like say, well, he's not very good, so let's try and help our bottom lane that's that's been rather weak uh, against a very strong six A after bottom lane. Or I'm very curious to see if Flash Wolves are gonna what kind of approach they're gonna take to this series because I think it should just be Karsa, Camp Maple just camp for maple and get Hui so far behind that he has no impact in in team fights yeah i agree wholeheartedly it's something that flash wolves did not do and their two losses to clg i'm hoping that that's something that they've learned from in that regard if you look at who stats across the board uh fewer kills per game than anyone other than perks uh more deaths per game than anyone other than naru uh his kda is by far lower than any of the mid laners currently still in the tournament. CS per game and CS per minute. Uh, his CS per minute actually is the lowest of anyone at this tournament. So he's not even really farming to that, you know, to that passive, getting himself to those big power points uh, as much as other guys at this tournament are. There isn't really any stat that makes me feel good about 
what he is as an individual doing. And I think it is a testament to CLG that that weakness has not been as noticeable as you might think it would be. But if you're Flash Wolves, you're spending all this time going over the film, you've got to start noticing the trend. And I believe that what you just pointed out is going to be the way they go, especially because... Carza and Maple have looked so incredible at this tournament. Walter, I, I have been preaching the LMS's virtues for forever on this show. You have been slower to join me on the Flash Wolves bandwagon. Are you convinced now? Are you with me on this journey of LMS hype? Well, I've seen one team play on the international stage. Well, two because of HQ. But mm. yes, Flash Wolves have looked fairly good. I will say, however, the, the mystique the fog around the legendary jungler only known as Karsa to all of us Western fans. We've only heard whispers of his power and his strength and how he's just this incredible ganking and invading jungler and he's so aggressive and so strong. I have to say I've been rather disappointed mm. after watching him at MSI. He has seemed, and maybe it's a product of teams or the teams playing against him have been working to directly counteract him or whatnot but he does seem rather neutered so to speak he does seem he's still making impact he's still impacting the games he's still being aggressive but it doesn't seem so it doesn't like trick is like this this fiery burning like constant aggression and, and carsa seems more fluid very very water-like and very kind of slippery like a snake and and that sort of thing where i'm so used to watching european and and north american aggressive junglers be in the face constant this relentless aggression and carson just seems more subdued but he's accomplishing the same thing so it, it just it's not what i was expecting and i i've been disappointed that it's not that but at the same time surprised that you can have a very fluid, very well thought out aggression in the way that Karsa has been accomplishing. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you have to keep in mind with Karsa is that it's not just what you can see on a stat sheet with him. The number of stolen barons or stolen dragons that he was able to pull off for his team. My favorite, I forget which game it was, but there was a moment in which Karza was standing outside of the Baron pit with his graves. And before he had even jumped in, I believe it was uh, Riv said, he's going to steal the Baron. Immediately, dash in, stole, flashed out. It's like, yep, it's Karza. Of course he was going to steal the Baron. This is just something that he has that sense to him. And that fluidity, while it may not be as flashy as some of the other junglers, the consistency has been the key for Flash Wolves. He is something that they can depend upon. And MMD has kind of been the same thing for them. We had questions going into this, whether MMD was going to be able to keep up with some of these higher-powered top laners of this tournament. And so far, he's been able to do just that. Has he been incredibly flashy? Not particularly. But he's done more than enough, especially on his Echo. And it's allowed the two real stars of the tournament so far, in Maple and Sword Art, to excel and make these incredible plays time and time again. Maple's done it on so many different champions so far, and Sword Art has proven this reputation that he's gotten within the LMS scene of being this mastermind. It's kind of the Aphromu of the LMS in terms of just making smart plays, being able to set his teammates up for success time and time again, except he's doing it with a maybe less powerful AD carry. Walter, do you think that that weakness in NL and the bot lane as a whole that you mentioned earlier, because that AD carry positioning is going to be the Achilles heel as they play CLG in this round? For Flash Wolves, that would be their Achilles heel, would, would be NL's positioning and his rather weakness, uh, his potential weakness in the laning phase against Stixay and Aftermo. However, I think... The weakness is leveled out by the same thing with Huey and Stixay's sometimes positioning positioning mistakes. Again, as I said earlier, during the most complicated of places where a normal human being would screw up, get caught out, and instantly get blown up, somehow Stixay, between the peel of Darshan and, and Aphromoo and Xmithy, and his own mechanical play, is able to slip his way out of these bad situations and turn it into a triple or quadra kill. But at the same time, he has some moments where he has, he's literally caught out in the most 
like moronic of ways, and I'm thinking about the Supermassive game, where you just go, I cannot believe he's on a professional team. Like this seems so freaking stupid that he's getting caught out like this. So I think that this is probably going to be the most even of the two semifinal series, despite the fact that CLG has two owed uh, Flash Wolves so far in the tournament. It's really, really hard to go undefeated against a team every single time you play them. It's really, really hard. And I think Flash Wolves are going to understand that the play style they need to now focus on is, okay, we need to camp the hell out of Hubie. We need to get him down. We need to get our star carry, which is Maple, and we need to get him ahead. And Maple has arguably been the second best mid laner in the tournament behind Jauhu. So that's where I think they're going to focus. I think Hui and CLG know that. So we'll probably see a lot more roaming from Aphromoo and a lot more focus from Xmithy on the mid lane, especially in terms of ward control and getting the, the banana bushes, getting the pixel bushes, getting the river bushes on the sides of the lane itself warded with pink wards, constantly sweeping them, constantly getting wards a little bit deeper into, you know, the Wraith and Wolf areas and, and really focusing on protecting Hui because that to me is the very clear, here's our target. We're going after this mid laner who's shown that he is not necessarily on a international level. And that's what I think the game plan is going to surround for both of these teams. How do we protect Tui versus how do we get after him and kill him? Yeah, it's going to be an incredibly interesting series. And especially, let's keep in mind that this is also a coaching duel. You know, we've talked about how Coma is such an intelligent coach. And obviously with, uh, with RNG... Uh, Fly has gotten a reputation for himself over the years as being a mastermind as well. But let's not forget that the guys in Flash Wolves, whether it be Stake or Fluid Wind or Warhorse, this is a full-on staff that has proven to take the lessons from best of ones and best of twos when they were playing throughout the regular season and come out super strong in best of five series. There's a reason that Flash Wolves 3-0'd AHQ, despite AHQ going 25-3 and in the regular season in the LMS. They do learn. They do adapt. And it is going to be just like the first semifinal series. It's going to be a coaching battle on that end as well, which is why I'm so excited to see it. Uh, whether North America wins and I get to claim some regional pride or whether the Flash Wolves win, and I get to remind everybody how important that region truly is. Uh, I'm going to be happy regardless. Walter. So, so one question. Yeah, did you look up those people or did you know them off the top of your head? Are we putting this on the episode? Yeah, I'm actually oh. um, I knew Fluid Wind and Stake off the top of my head. I had to remember Warhorse as the head coach. But I knew Fluid Wind because he had been the coach during Worlds. And I, I thought, thought he did a very good job. I thought you were just making up names and I had to double-check <laughs> coaching staff of Flash Wolves. See, this is why I'm working on an article for Slingshot about the Flash Wolves right now, because exactly that sentiment. But we'll save that for another time. It is time to guess the line for this last series. Walter, where do you think it is? I know CLG are the favorites. Yes. I know that for a fact. Yes. I'm going CLG minus 200. Okay. You went a little high. It's CLG minus 169, which I... I mean, that's fair. I just thought North Americans and Westerners were just going to gamble on CLG and and make it rise, so... Yeah, I thought so as well. I'm actually pleasantly surprised that it's where it is. I think this is rather fair, the way that CLG has been playing right now. They deserve to be the favorites. Uh, I think that they, you know, have proven that they, they can do this consistently, and I have a lot of faith in that coaching staff to come up with a plan. I this would be one of those for me, the plus 170 that this goes to five games. I could very easily see this go to five games. I would agree. I would agree. And this also makes me feel a lot better about my futures pick, which was for Flash Wolves to win the entire tournament at plus 900. Yeah. So I'm feeling even better because they dodged they dodged RNG and SKT in the semifinals and they get CLG. Which for the That's record, great. that uh those futures, should we go over really quickly just how those have changed just for fun here? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's just bring it so, up. So SKT are still the favorites. Nowhere near as much as they were. It's actually only minus 125 at this point. Okay. Which seems reasonable given how much the other teams have proven themselves. Royal Never Give Up is at plus 175. Obviously, I expect that line to skyrocket should they beat SK Telecom. Yep. Counterlogic Gaming is at plus 600. And Flash Wolves are at plus 800. And my favorite stat... 
While Gamers 2, they've listed as being eliminated. For whatever reason, you can still bet on the line for Supermassive, <laughs> which is at plus one million if you would like to get invested. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a long shot. But I just should let you know that the line is there. I guess there's somewhere there must have been a bug in the system. I thought that was just quite funny. Uh, we love our friends over at Unicorn. No, no, no hate whatsoever. Just very, very funny. Um, I'm, I'm on that right now. I'm going to put 10 unicorns on there. <laughs> Tiniest of chance it happens. <laughs> you know how amazing the storyline would be if a team that had already been eliminated somehow won it all? That would be pretty great. I, I think that would be unprecedented, really. Yeah, you never hey, you never know. Uh, but what we do know is that that's a podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find me at Redshirt King. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL and at SlingshotEsports.com. Perfect. You can keep following the podcast at SoundCloud.com slash EsportsRoughDrafts. Or you could go to Rough Drafts on the podcast section of iTunes and subscribe on there. You'll get all our episodes right away if you do either of those things. And remember, there is going to be a part two here with the rulings that Riot made on Impulse, on Renegades, and our thoughts on this whole G2 MSI vacation debacle, let's say. Uh, We've got a lot of thoughts for there, so if you've had your fill of gameplay breakdown and you want to get to that sweet, sweet drama, stay tuned for part two of this podcast. But until then, goodbye, Internet.